the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We have here a compound name, a covenant name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Isn't it sad, though, that most of the times we use that compound term today, it's almost exclusively attached to the idea that God's going to provide you material possessions. It's not the context. The context is that God made a gracious provision of a blood offering. And the ultimate way that God expressed himself as Jehovah Jireh is when he offered his son Jesus as a blood sacrifice for you and me. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. It is true that we often look to God to take care of our physical needs, and we certainly should. But as Pastor Gary points out, we also have spiritual needs that God has provided for. In today's study, we will see the importance of Abraham's obedience in offering his son to God as a sacrifice. There are many insights here for us to apply to our own walk of faith. Pastor Gary will give us 10 parallels between Abraham's offering up of Isaac and God's offering up of Jesus. What do these events have in common and what significance do they hold for us today? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, A Sacrifice of Love. When God asks you and I to do things, particularly that we read in His Word, that we will find on times a stretch for us in obeying God and doing what God says, there will be a wrestling match. You will at times want to wrestle your will with God's will. That doesn't say anything less of you as a person. It's nothing less of Abraham as a person. The truth is, Jesus wrestled between His will and the will of the Father. In Gethsemane, remember, just before He was crucified, He prayed to the Father and He said, Father... If it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying the humanity of him did not want to suffer. If there's another way to accomplish your grand purpose, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He surrendered his will to the will of the Father. But he had a will. We have a will. We have to learn to surrender our will to the will of God. What does God want? What is God's call? What is God requiring of us? What does God say for us to do? And then we surrender our will to the will of God. I'm sure as Abraham is making this 50-mile journey to Moriah, he is looking tenderly at his son. I'm sure that he's wrestling with his own emotions. I'm sure that he's wondering, he has questions like, what will my son think of this when I raise a knife to his throat? 
how will God make all of this work out? You have to remember, he didn't, Abraham didn't have Romans 8.28 to fall back on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Paul said all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Oh, we have that one memorized. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the patriarchs of the faith who went before him as an example to encourage him in this step of obedience. He is the patriarch of the faith. There's no one before him. There's no Romans 8.28. This is a guy who's just going to obey God. But please, don't underestimate the struggle. He's a human being with real feelings. He's got a son that he loves. God even tells us this. This is the son whom you love. And, and he's got to struggle with this whole notion of what God is asking him to do. And so he does. Now this is, for those of you who like to take notes, a chapter of firsts. In Genesis 22, it's the first time the word love appears in the Bible. Very interesting. 2,000 years of human history have already passed from Genesis 1 to 21. And in 21 chapters of the Bible, God chooses this scene to reveal the word love for the first time. And it's in verse 2. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. It's also in this chapter the first time the word worship appears in verse 5, where Abraham says we will go and worship and then we will return. It is the Hebrew word shakah. Not shaka Khan, just shaka. okay? That's not worship. Shaka is worship. It just means to lie prostrate and to bow down. This first time the word worship appears in the Bible. First time the word lamb appears in the Bible. It's verse 7. When Isaac will speak up and say to his father Abraham, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? First time that that appears. And this is, for all intents and purposes, this is a story about love, worship, and a lamb. Love, worship, and a lamb. And then the Lord says here in verse 2, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, there's that phrase, your only son. But wait a minute. We've studied the Bible up to this point. We know that Abraham has another son. He has an older son, Ishmael, that is 13 years older than Isaac. But why is it that God refers to Isaac as your only son? And in fact, not once, three times in chapter 22. Verse 2, verse 12, verse 16. God refers to Isaac as your only son, Abraham. How is this possible? Well, Abraham does have another biological son. Remember, he had it with his relationship with Hagar. But again, God is making a distinction here. When Abraham had Ishmael with Hagar, that was an act of the human will. When Abraham has Isaac with Sarah, that is an act of the will of God. And as far as the promises of God are concerned, Isaac is the child of the promise. And Abraham has only one son. Now, I will need to let you know that Muslims paint a different picture of this story. That Muslims believe that the son that Abraham nearly sacrificed, that Allah told him to sacrifice, was Ishmael. And the reason they say that is because the Quran paints a similar story of what we read here in Genesis 22 about Abraham being called upon by the Lord to, or in the Quran by Allah, to sacrifice his son. The problem is in the Quran, the son's name is not mentioned. And so Muslims then assume it must be the oldest son, which would be Ishmael. Also, conveniently, they believe that Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael. So, that's revisionist history. You want your ancestor to be the child of the promise rather than the ancestor of the Jews. But the fact is that in Genesis 22, God specifically calls Abraham 
to sacrifice his son Isaac, and Isaac's name is mentioned six times in chapter 22. Ishmael's name is not mentioned once in the version in the Quran, not once. In addition, Moses was inspired by God to pen the events of Genesis 2,000 years before Muhammad received his revelations. So I'm going to stick with the oldest, more reliable account of this story. I'm sticking with the Bible. And the Bible says that Isaac is the child of the promise, and that Isaac is the child through whom God would bear his promise to be, and that ultimately would be fulfilled through Christ. And this is the story. Now, in order to understand this story in its fullness, you need to probably lose a preconceived idea that many of us have had growing up in the church. I know I did as a kid, going to Sunday school class, got the little felt board going. This is before high-tech PowerPoint, okay? Shows you how old I am. Had the little felt board. How many of you remember the felt board? Let me see your hands. Oh, God bless you. And so the felt board scene, you got the felt board, you got the little stick figures, you got the felt board going, okay? And I remember the felt board scene of this story. You know, it stopped somewhere. They didn't have the, the image of, you know, Abraham raising a knife. So that was a little too cruel for kids in Sunday school. But otherwise, the story was generally portrayed as Isaac being this little kid. You know, maybe 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, being a little kid. He's not a little kid. In the story, he's actually an adult. Here's how we know. Real quickly, look at the way chapter 21 ends. Chapter 21 is the story of his birth. But at the end of chapter 21, it tells us many years pass... Because at the end of chapter 21, last verse, it says, And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. A long time. How long? It doesn't say, but many years. Then chapter 22 begins with another statement, some time later. So we have a long time added upon that, some time later. And then go to chapter 23, and notice the way chapter 23 begins. It tells us in chapter 23 that Sarah, the mother of Isaac, dies at the age of 127. Now, when Sarah's 127, that makes Isaac 37 years of age. For that reason, Bible scholars are agreed. You read almost any commentary. They put Isaac as an adult. The ancient first historian, Josephus, who lived in the first century and was recruited by the Romans, he was a Jew, he was recruited by the Romans to record Jewish history. Josephus writes in his antiquities work that Isaac was 25 years of age. The Jewish Talmud, you can read the Mishnah, is a commentary on the Old Testament. The Jewish Talmud says that Isaac was 37, and they rely on Genesis 23.1 that talks about how his mother died at 127. So they put him immediately at the age of 37. Adam Clark, a guy that I love to kind of peruse his commentary, he's a great theologian who died in the 19th century. He kind of strikes the middle and he says Isaac was 33. But I want you to get it out of your head that he's a little boy, and here's why it's important to understanding the story. Because when you make him an adult in his 30s, it means Isaac was a willing participant in this story. He was a willing sacrifice in this story. Keep that in mind. They're called to go to Moriah. The word Moriah in translation means Yahweh displays himself. And Yahweh will certainly display himself here. And then in verse 5, notice in verse 5 where it tells us about what Abraham is going to do here with his son. It says that he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Again, by the way, the word boy is used, but that's just an affectionate term from a father to a son. I still call my sons boys, even though they're 22 and 19. Terry, where are the boys? When are the boys coming home? That kind of a thing. That's all that text means. I want you to notice, though, the amazing faith of Abraham revealed there in verse 5. He says to his servants, 
we, meaning he and his son Isaac, will worship, and then we will come back to you. Look at this faith. We're going to go over here and worship. Now, he knows God's called him to sacrifice his son, but he says to his servants, we, plural, will come back to you. What a man of faith. Now, Hebrews tells us that this is why he was such a man of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, listen to this, that God could could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. In other words, Abraham is thinking this. He says to his servants, we're going to go over here and we're going to worship, and we're going to come back to you, because Abraham knew in his heart that the same God who said that all nations would be reconciled through Isaac has to be true to his word. So if he's going to tell me to sacrifice him, he must, in fact, going to be raising him from the dead after that. Such a man of courage and faith here. And this is what he believes. Well, in verse 6, it says then that Abraham loads up the wood on his son. Another indication that he's not a little boy. Here, Isaac is hauling the wood of the sacrifice. And then in verse 7, we have the only recorded conversation in the Bible between father and son, between Abraham and Isaac. And in verse 7, Isaac says to his dad, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, you know, he's, he's wise here. He realizes, by the way, that sacrifice involves a blood offering. This has no doubt been handed down to them over the centuries. Because what God first did in the garden, when he slaughtered animals to clothe Adam and Eve because of their sin, and what Cain did by bringing the insufficient offering, Abel brought the superior offering, a first fruit of the flocks. Isaac understood this, handed down over 2,000 years. You approach God with a blood sacrifice. Isaac turns to his dad and he says, Pops, I got the wood on my back. You got the fire and you got a knife. Where's the lamb? Well, I've kind of been meaning to talk to you about that. No, actually what Abraham says, another word of faith in verse 8. Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. I don't know how all this is going to work out, but I know that God himself is going to make provision here. And so in verse 9, it says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now, he was a willing participant, but this is a formality. This is what you would do with a sacrifice. He bound his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Man, I can imagine probably no sweeter sound than to hear your name like that at that moment. And probably no sweeter sound to Isaac, too. Oh, thank the Lord, you've intervened. I mean, you're on the altar, Dad's ready to plunge a knife into your throat, and you hear this glorious name shouted from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. The Lord says in verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, He went over and took the ram, a ram is a male lamb, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. If you have a King James Bible, it just gives the Hebrew transliteration, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh. 
The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now notice this. We have here a compound name, a covenant name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Isn't it sad, though, that most of the times we use that compound term today, it's almost exclusively attached to the idea that God's going to provide you material possessions. That's not the context. The context is that God made a gracious provision of a blood offering. And the ultimate way that God expressed Himself as Jehovah Jireh is when He offered His Son Jesus as a blood sacrifice for you and me. Jesus, His Son, would die on a cross. That's how God is Jehovah Jireh. He's the one who provided for you and me the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice through His Son, Jesus, who would die on a cross. And what this chapter teaches us is that very story. God had a redemptive plan in mind that He had you and me in mind when He put that plan in motion, the Bible says, before the creation of the world. The plan that Jesus would die as the Lamb to take away the sins of the world. What is God proving in this story? It starts out by saying He was testing Abraham. He was proving Abraham. But really? I mean, even at the end when God says, Now I know that you fear God. Is it, well, now I know, or is it, now I know, I already know, now I know. God knows everything. He's not proving anything so that God can be enlightened here. God is proving a timeless message. He is showing forth a truth that is incredible in this story. This is a story of love and worship and a lamb. What do I mean? What God is trying to prove in this story is He's trying to prove the love of a father and the willingness of a son, and the provision of a lamb. God so loved the world, He wanted to illustrate for us in Genesis 22 the ultimate plan of redemption through Christ. In fact, for those of you who love to take notes, I'm going to give you real quickly just ten. I'm going to run through this real quickly. You've got to write quickly. Ten ways that Isaac parallels Christ in Genesis 22. Notice the similarities here of this story. Number one. Both Isaac and Jesus, both are born according to a promise. Both foretold in advance, both according to a promise. Number two, both are born under miraculous circumstances. Sarah, well past her prime, God enables her to conceive. Mary, a virgin, conceives by the seed of God, the incarnate God Himself. Number three, both Jesus and Isaac, of course, are loved by their fathers. Even at the time Jesus was baptized... The dove descended, Holy Spirit descends, and a voice from heaven, the Lord said, God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Number four, both are the same age at the time of the sacrifice. Number five, both are escorted to the same place of the sacrifice. Do you know that Mount Moriah, the peak of Mount Moriah, is Calvary? that the outcroppings of the peak of Moriah look like a skull, a human skull. So it is called Calvary in Latin. It is called Golgotha in Aramaic. It is the same location where 2,000 years after this event, Jesus would be offered by His Father on a cross for the sins of the world. Number six, both carry their own wood. Isaac to the altar, Jesus His cross to Golgotha. Number seven, both willingly submit to their fathers. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down in obedience to the will of the Father. Number eight, both ask a question of their fathers. Isaac said, where is the lamb? 
Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Number nine, Isaac was brought back from the dead figuratively. Jesus was brought back from the dead literally. And number 10, the next event for Isaac, it's in chapter 24. Isaac gets a bride, Rebekah. The next event after Jesus was sacrificed, he would get a bride, the church. That's you and me. What is Jesus doing? He's dying for the sins of the world. And he's being revealed in the pages of Genesis 22. So that we would be confronted with this wonderful message of love, worship, and a lamb. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to be the Lamb to take away the sins of the world. That's why John the Baptist, when he was about to baptize Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's why Paul would refer to Jesus as our Passover Lamb. Jesus would offer His life a substitutionary sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to pay the price for our sins. Jesus would. And by His stripes, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, we are healed. By the finished work of Jesus, the Messiah, by His stripes, we are made whole. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. And it's a free gift. It's the story of the great exchange. We exchange our sins. We place our sins upon Christ. And we receive His righteousness for us. That is the story of the gospel. And that story is revealed to us in the story of Genesis 22. Now listen, I don't know where all of you stand in your relationship with the Lord. I know many of you already know Christ as your Savior and you hear about this kind of a Bible study and this just kind of excites your heart about who Christ is, how He died for your sins, He's the Lamb in the story. But there are some of you, you don't know Christ and you're here today and maybe somebody invited you or you stumbled in to kind of observe what's going on here and I believe you're here not by accident. You're here because the Lord loves you and the Lord wants to have relationship with you. And Jesus died for every wicked, horrible, unspeakable thing we've ever done. God so loved the world that He offers His Son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for wicked, sinful people. And the Bible says there's none righteous, not a single person, none righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we're justified freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price for every wicked, sinful thing we've ever done. You can leave here today knowing not only that your sins are forgiven, but you can leave here today knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. God went to great lengths to save us. He is for us. He sends His Son for us. Jesus dies for us. He rose again for us. He's coming again for us. He's made heaven for us. And all He wants for you and me is for us just to respond in faith and to say, yes, Lord, I receive You by faith. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank You, Jesus. Come into my life and save me. Some of you here, you know, you're painfully aware. You are haunted when you go to bed at night of all of the stupid, sinful stuff you've done and you feel ashamed by it and you need someone to tell you and this is the day someone's telling you. Jesus died for all of that. So you can go home to bed tonight, lay your head on your pillow and be forgiven and have a clear conscience because you know that Christ paid the price and He died for all of that wicked, sinful stuff we've done in our lives. That is the hope of the gospel. That's the love of Jesus who died to set us free and to forgive us. But you have to want it. You have to receive it. 
None of us has done anything to deserve it. You can't earn your way to heaven or work your way to heaven. It's a free gift. This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis, taught by Pastor Gary, was a blessing to you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc, where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.